Good morning. I've encouraged you in this study to make sure you heard the first lesson that was two weeks ago about Christ setting us free. Because we made the point, Jesus didn't just come to save us, to give us salvation. He also came to set us free. And we talked about that as we studied Lazarus, how he called Lazarus out of the grave, but he also said for the grave clothes to be removed. And we study the significance of that. So for the next several weeks as we work through this series, we're going to study what it means to be free. What does it mean to be free from the bondage that we're in? Not just the bondage of sin. Jesus washes us clean. We understand that. But what about these other things that hold us bondage? And each week we're going to study that further when our home Bible study groups meet. I want to open by reminding you, if you're familiar with this, if not, you might remember uh, or may have heard of George Carlin, comedian. He did a routine that uh, was about the difference between football and baseball. And of course, he was uh, quite a character. But what he shared in this little routine was the spirit behind these two sports are vastly different. Now, some people love them both. Some love one more than the other. But he said that football tends to be more martial. And baseball, much more gentle. So I want to begin with this to kind of uh, open up our topic for the morning. He said the difference between football and baseball. Football, Colin says, is played on a gridiron. Baseball is played on a diamond in a park. It's a beautiful setting. Football players wear helmets. Baseball players wear caps. In football, there's a specialist who comes in to kick something. In baseball, a specialist comes in to relieve somebody. In football, there's a two-minute warning. In baseball, there's a seventh-inning stretch. Football has sudden death. Sounds kind of ominous. Baseball gets extra innings. Not just innings, but extra in case you need some. In football, a runner will give you the stiff arm. In baseball, the runner gets to slide in the park. It's kind of fun. But the biggest difference, he says, is that football, the main objective is military. In football, he says, battle is fought in the trenches. The field general, the quarterback, sets to evade the blitz. Soften the enemy line with a pounding ground attack and an aerial bombardment. He will mix bullet passes with the occasional going for the bomb in order to penetrate the enemy defenses to reach the end zone. In baseball, the object is to go home. That's all. You just want to go home. It's a beautiful thing. I believe much of the frustration and the groanings in this world may be an unconscious homesickness for the way things were created to be. We may not even realize it in ourselves. We were made for home. We were created for freedom. This is how God made us. Some of the very first words from God to that man and woman in the garden were about freedom. Did you realize that? Of all the things he said, he says, you are free to eat of any tree. Those are his words. Free to eat. Now, there was one that you couldn't eat from. We'll talk about that. But he began by saying these words of freedom. God created us to live free. Home free. And that's why the resurrection is important because it declares that everything that's so wrong on earth is going to be made right again. And by Jesus' resurrection, it also offers the promise and the power that you can start that right now. 
You don't have to just hang on until the end comes and then you'll be free. We can begin heading home free right now. But there's a couple of traps you need to watch out for. This is how we're going to open. The first one is this. Beware of a trap of denying bondage exists. See, the hardest chains to break are the ones that we're not even aware of. That we don't even know. They're never acknowledged. When you hear, I don't have a problem, you almost certainly have a problem. We know that. And the path of freedom cannot shortcut ruthless personal honesty. First John 1 John 1.8 says, If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If you're a Bible class teacher, or maybe been with a youth group on a retreat, or maybe even in an adult setting, maybe you've been in a situation where you would have a, a cross, and a part of the, the exercise, you would have the students or the people there to maybe write their sins on a piece of paper or their struggle, and then they would nail that to the cross. Or maybe it was a fire, and you throw it into the flame. Or maybe it was a prayer wall, and you would attach it some way. And so, as a group, you look at that, and you're just, you're just kind of a, a aware visually of all your sins. And there's something about when you do that, you, you realize that we are sinful. And we do need grace. We do need cleansing. We need, need that awareness. There are all kinds of things that we're going to be talking about in this study. What is it that you would write down on your piece, for no one to see, but just God to know? What is it that is your struggle? What is it that's your bondage? We're going to talk about that. How do we get rid of guilt? How do we get rid of greed? How do you get rid of lust? How do you get rid of shame? See, it takes courage first just to admit there's a problem. And that's the truth about anything in life. Just to admit that there is a problem. You cannot get to where you need to go without admitting where you are. And the Bible talks about the Holy Spirit convicting us. Sometimes we need the Holy Spirit revealing that to us. So in preparation for next week, I want you to be thinking about what is the, the one area maybe for you that is a bondage? That kind of holds on to you where you feel trapped and you can't move forward. So be thinking about that. Because most people don't deny freedom's necessity. They deny its possibility. Because you've tried to stop worrying. You've tried. You've tried to keep control of your temper. You've tried to stop being a people pleaser. But you didn't last long. Maybe for a while, but you didn't last long. You weren't successful. It didn't go well. So maybe you've exchanged try hard and fail to stop trying and fake it. It's so easy to play that game. For you, you need to be aware of the next trap. And that's the trap of deciding freedom doesn't exist. We live in a world where decay seems to rule the day. And in such a world, it's hard not to lower expectations and just to accept bondage as normal. It's just kind of part of life. It's not going to get any better. You just kind of have to accept it and just kind of trudge through life. So we settle. I believe that Jesus rose from the dead. I believe my sins are washed away. I believe I'm going to heaven. But I'm never going to get free of this. Whatever this is for you. So we talk about freedom. We just don't think it's real. This was ironic to me. In 1971, the state of New Hampshire started putting a slogan on their license plates. You've probably heard the slogan, live free or die. Made famous by Revolutionary War General John Stewart. Live free or die. You've heard of that? 
Well, here's the irony. Those license plates were made by inmates in the state prison. Think about that one. Day after day, live free or die. We proclaim freedom. We just don't think it's real. We receive salvation. We're going to heaven. We believe in that. But we live our life in handcuffs. And the world sees us struggling along in shackles and they wonder, why do I want to be a Christian? Why do I want to follow Jesus if that's what this life is about? We're just like Lazarus. We're still in our grave clothes and we've not been set free from that. Those prisoners making those license plates couldn't leave. Not until their time was up. And many of us stay in our prisons even though we have the power to leave. Jesus did not say, remember this when He talked to Mary and Martha? Jesus did not say, I will be the resurrection and the life. He said, I am the resurrection and the life. And if that is true, while we wait for His return, we don't have to do it in a prison cell. The risen Christ in us is more powerful than anything on us. The risen Christ in us is more powerful than anything on us. And it's hard for us to believe. It's hard for us to keep in mind. Even Paul struggled with that. He talked about what I know to do, I don't always do. And he realized that sometimes you're so aware of your sin, you feel shackled. And you don't know what to do with that. Paul wrote this in Romans 7, verse 24 and 25 for the New American Standard. Wretched man that I am, who will, his words, who will set me free? Who will set me free from the body of this death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Do you believe that? See, I I believe that God loves you just as you are. Wretched man that I am, And it's Jesus Christ who came to set us free. He wants to recreate us. To make us a new creation. Because He created you to be home free. And just like Lazarus, just like Paul, the good news is that our God is stronger than stones, stronger than prison doors, heavy chains. We can get home free. But first, we have to admit that we're neither. I want us to think about this. And think about this with our study guide. This is why some of us are, are auditory learners. You just hear somebody talk, you hear somebody say something, and it goes in. Some of us are visual learners. That's why I go to the trouble of, of printing a, an outline and, and PowerPoint. Because if you see it, it goes in. But all of us, no matter what is our learning, our dominant learning style, all of us remember stories. Do we not? A story that just makes the point. Jesus knew that. That's why so much of His teaching was in stories. And you remember the story Jesus told in Luke's Gospel about the father who had the two sons? The youngest one came to him and said, can I have my inheritance now? What a kick in the gut that would have been to any father. Basically, his son saying, you're not dead soon enough for me. I want what's mine. And as Jesus tells the story, the Father gives him his wish, divides this property. Imagine that land couldn't be sold quick enough. First bidder, son is ready for his money, out the door. As Jesus tells the story, you remember, he uses the word to describe that young man's actions as wild living. We don't even have to know more, do we? We know exactly what's going on. When the money ran out, when the famine came, the friends ran off, 
He hits bottom so much so, as Jesus tells the story, He works feeding pigs. He is trapped. He's in bondage. He's stuck. There is no way out. But the story takes a turn in verse 17. Let's pick up the reading there. Luke 15, beginning of verse 17. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired men have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men. So he got up and went to his father. This young man made a trip that every one of us in bondage, being trapped, needs to make. But it started with three decisions. I want us to get these. Number one, he said, I have not been thinking straight. That's where it started for him. To just say, I've not been thinking straight. When he came to his senses, is how Jesus describes it. See, the battle for freedom must begin in the mind. It starts in the mind. The enemy is a deceiver. And from the beginning, he has used crooked thinking to enslave God's people. He started in the garden and he continues to this day. Why did Jesus say the words, you remember the truth will set you free? Why did he say that? Why did he say the truth will make you right? Or the truth will help you understand? He said the truth will set you free. Because behind every bondage, is a lie. And the devil is the father of lies. Now, this is huge. And I want us to unpack this more. And we will next week. But I want all of you to do your best to be here. Because when someone is in bondage, we're good at either ourselves addressing the behavior or maybe pointing that out in somebody else. We can do it in our family. We can do that among friends. We can do that in church. Here's what you got to do. Stop doing this and start doing this. And we talk about the behaviors. We don't really talk about the thinking. And that's why that change doesn't always last long. Not realizing that the behavior is fueled and motivated by a lie. Until you have a breakthrough in your thinking, you're not going to have a lasting breakthrough in your behavior. For example, a workaholic man, never around his family. You can tell him, go home at quitting time. You can tell him not to work on Saturdays or Sundays or his off day. And he could do that. When he's home, he's on the phone checking his emails. His mind is thinking about a project at work. He's doing some work. He brought it home with him, doing what he can to try to get ahead. You know, he's not at the office necessarily. He says he's not working, but you see, he may have changed his ways maybe, but his thinking is not... He's born to the lie that what he has is who he is. Until he changes that lie, he's not going to change his behaviors. And he's in bondage. Let me share a verse that just jumped out at me. It's not a strange verse, but I just read it with new eyes in this study. From the New Living Translation, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 25 and 26. Look what, what Paul writes here. Gently instruct those who oppose the truth now let me stop right there. Now some people who oppose the truth may not know they're doing it. They may be deceived and they're not quite aware. Maybe they're not being difficult or belligerent. They're just so consumed with a lie, maybe blinded by it, that it's diluted their thinking. So Paul says, gently, gently instruct those who oppose the truth. Perhaps God will change those people's hearts. And they will learn the truth. 
Look what he says. Then they will, here's that phrase again, come to their senses and escape the devil's trap. For they've been held captive by him to do whatever he wants. When you open your Bible and you start reading through, there's all kind of language about freedom and bondage and, and it's, it's, it's everywhere. So how is Satan putting people in bondage? How is he doing that? So it always starts by messing with our minds. By deluding... Did God really say you can't eat? Did God really say... This young boy had to come to his senses. His actions were wrong because his thinking was wrong. But it's not just the story Jesus tells in Luke 15 that this boy came to his senses. All of us, everybody, needs to come to our senses. Maybe no lie holds more people captive than this one. I'm missing something because I can't, and you fill in the blank. I'm missing out because I can't. The lie that if you follow God, then God's holding out on you and you're not going to get to enjoy life as rich, as good, as full as if you were not. So you're missing out. And people buy that lie, riding left, that God is holding out on us. See, the path of bondage starts with the pursuit of a perceived need. And the devil is so good about the advertisements. They're everywhere about that, that distant land. Whatever that distant land is, he makes it look good. You know what I think of? I thought of when I was reading about this, I thought of Pinterest. Have you seen anything online where his Pinterest fails? Just go home and Google that one. It's Pinterest, it'll show this beautiful picture of frog cupcakes, what they look like on Pinterest, and it shows the people who did it, and it's this green goo mess. Here's how it looks like, and then here's the reality. Satan does that, and he's so deceptive. And we want it, we just follow. Whatever that distant land is, many of us have experienced the grief of not being able to stop somebody leaving and going into the distant country. You know what I'm talking about? Maybe they're family, maybe they're friend, and you go and you plead with them, and you cannot, you cannot talk them out of it. They, ha they are deceived. They have bought a lie. And they're leaving what they know is good and right and true. And they have been so brainwashed by some deception. And they're going off into this foreign land. And they're taking a trip that, that we know is going to end poorly. And so when they leave and when they go, you know, then our prayers change. God just help them when they hit rock bottom, that the consequences won't be too extreme. Have you ever prayed that? That they won't die before they come back to the Lord? That they won't hurt people in their wake? They won't make, make too big of a mess of their life before they come to their senses? You know, recovery groups will we'll talk about that as being hitting rock bottom. The idea that it's so bad, you're stuck in the mud feeding pigs and you realize the only way to go is up. That's where you come to your senses. Because there's no breakout without a breakthrough in your thinking. And when you start thinking straight, you stop making excuses. And that's the second decision. I must not blame anything or anyone else. You've heard the phrase, excusing by accusing. People in bondage are fluent in excusing by accusing. They're very, very good at explaining their bondage because if someone 
or something out there. The boy could have blamed his older brother for being a hypocrite because he was one. His older brother was not any help at all. He could have blamed his dad for not being more generous. He could have blamed his party friends for abandoning him. He could have blamed God for sending the famine that caused the big mess. Everything was going fine until the famine came, right? And the money ran out. He could have blamed God. But when he got his thinking straight, he looked into the mirror and he saw the problem. The problem wasn't out there. The problem was in here. He was the problem. I want us to understand this because you cannot blame your way to freedom. Can't be done. Understand that freedom is first of all an inside job. You know what I mean by that? How else do you explain Paul and Silas in prison singing songs being more free than their jailer who had the keys? It's an inside job. It starts in the mind. It's a lie to keep thinking and even saying, if someone would just fix that, if someone would just change him, if someone would just fix her, then I wouldn't know that is a lie. Stop yourself when you start buying into that kind of thinking. Freedom is not a change of circumstances as much as it's a capacity to be who God is recreating you to be in spite of your circumstances. You can be free from fear regardless of your diagnosis. You can be free from worry regardless of the economy. You can be free from bitterness. Whether or not the person who hurt you ever apologizes, you can be free. But Satan will always provide reasons why you have to stay in prison. And you can nurse that grudge. You can curse your bondage. You can rehearse your story over and over again. But after a while, people are going to get tired of hearing your story. Or number three, you can reverse it. And just like this young man say, I do not have to stay where I am. I do not have to stay where I am. In verse 18, he said, I will set out. Talking to himself, I will set out. And Jesus said in verse 20, so he got up. This young man decided the reality of his present was not the only possibility. That he could get out. He took that step. I guess every one of us have heard the phrase, you can't teach a dog uh, an old dog, new tricks. You've heard that? It's been around for all of our lifetimes. In fact, I traced it back to the year 1523. It's been around a while. An English animal trainer named John Fitzgerald said, quote, the dog must be trained when he is a whip or else it will not be trained for it is hard to make an old dog find a new scent. So we kind of summarize that down. You can't teach an old dog new tricks. Well, if you ever watch... Um, the show Myth, Mythbusters on the Discovery Channel. You know, those two guys, they'll take something that everybody's thought to be true and they'll kind of test it out. It's kind of a fun show to watch. Well, they took this one. They found a pair of aging Alaskan Malamutes. Didn't know a single trick in the book. And Malamutes, if you know anything about dogs, are known to be stubborn dogs. So these seven-year-old canines, Bobo and Cece, were the equivalent of two 50-year-old people. That's old. <clears throat> I just said that, okay? Four days. 
after only four days of training, both Bobo and Cece could heal, sit, lie down, stay, and shake upon command. It all took four days. You know what that did? It's a myth. You can teach an old dog new tricks. But we hear that. We believe that. I just stop right where, and we just stay in the mud. We stay in our bondage. I'm too old. I'm too old to change. That is a lie from Satan. Nobody's too old. Nobody is beyond changing. You have to decide, I'm going to get out. Now notice the boy did not get all cleaned up first. Jesus did not say, come to me all you who have your act together. Jesus did not say, you get free, then come to Jesus. Now you come to Jesus and then He sets you free. So the question is, why have so many saved people stuck in the mud? Why are those who have the promise of heaven still acting like, living like a life of bondage? Well, there are a lot of ways to answer that question. But I think there's one that's just undeniable. So many people in bondage allow where they are, where they are to become who they are. Do you know what I'm saying? I've always had a bad temper. My family's always had that problem. There's nothing I can do about this. It's just who I am. That is a lie. And the world will give you a label. If you're stay right where you are, the world will give you a label and Christians will too. Because we're just like the world like that. You mess up and you get labeled. And that label will stick with you for the rest of your life. But have you noticed that labels that stick are the ones that describe who we were more than who we are? We don't even call this parable the parable of the son who came home. We call it the parable of the prodigal son. That's who he was, not who he became. But that's how we label it. And that's how we remember him. We don't even call her the woman who found forgiveness. We call her the woman caught in adultery. And that's who she's labeled. The woman caught in adultery. So we live with labels from our past. And the labels stick. Have you let your label, your slavery, become your identity? The Gospel is more powerful than any label. Do you believe that? Do you believe that Jesus can truly make you a new creation? Do you believe He can make all things new? Do you believe the power that brought Jesus back from the grave is the power to make you into who God wants you to be? So look what happens next. Luke 15, last part of verse 20. When He was still a long way off, long way off, on the, like, that could go both ways. It was a distance here, but long way off. That son who was coming back is a long way off from the son that father wanted him to be. Is that a fair statement? That's not when that baby was born and that son was praying for who that young man would be. That mess walking down the road is a long way off. Well, it was a long way off his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. 
The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. See, people who are in bondage don't give up believing in God. They believe the lie that God has given up on them. They don't believe the God that is on the, at home on the porch looking, scanning the horizon, waiting for his child to come home. And notice the boy returned home still thinking he was a slave. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. I've given that up. I have no right. But God only lets His children return one way. Home free. If you're God's child, you are God's child. And He opens His arms and He runs down the road to meet you. That is who God is. Well, let me close with this. Freedom's first step is just claiming your true identity. Is claiming your true identity. Not what you've done, not what the world says you are, but you listen to who God says you are. J.J. Watt is a defensive end and tight end for the NFL Houston Texans. Phenomenal football player. If you follow NFL, you're very familiar with him. But the tides turned on him recently when seven-year-old, seven, seven-year-old Anthony Tarantelli sent what? An autographed game jersey. Sent it to him with a letter saying, I'm sending you my autographed game jersey so that you will know me when I am a famous NFL player. Don't you love that? Watt said, this kid's had some guts. I like it. Sometimes we need to look to the future with earnest expectation, believing the promise that God has made, and you claim it. You listen to who God says you are. The world says all kinds of things about you. And some of the words are based on where you've been and what you've done. And you know, the reality is you've been there and you've done that. But you're not there anymore. If God's washed you clean, if God has set you free, let the Father tell you who you are. I think of it like this. In fact, I share this illustration. It's not original to me. I don't know who came up with it first, but when I thought, heard this, I thought, this is it. You go into a store and they got the automatic electronic doors, you know? And you just walk up to them and they open. Great invention. So if your hands are full, you got a child or whatever, it's great. You walk up, it, it, the doors are open. That's how God works. You come to God, doors open. Both of them, wide, quick, instant, no questions asked. Didn't ask where you've been, didn't ask who you are, male, female, young, old. You're there, doors open. You know what James said? You draw near to God, He'll draw near to you. That is the Gospel. I will go. So we got up. God isn't just wanting us home. He's wanting us home free. <clears throat> I think John Law had the songs picked out before the sermon topic. I don't know if you knew this or not, but there's a, a line in the song that we sang, Jesus, let us come to know you. 
Wrap us in Your gentle presence when the end comes. Bring us home. The invitation is for you to come home. Whatever your next step is, you just come to the door. The doors are open. The blood of Jesus will wash you clean. That's why we always have the water ready for baptism. If you need to confess, if you just need prayers, whatever you need, we invite you to come home. Let's stand and sing.